Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start, if you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Car Chat Podcast. I'm Sam Moores, and with me this week, I have Chris Tolman. Hello. Hi. How are you doing? Very good. Very good. Can you tell the audience a little bit about, sort of short summary of who you are and what you do? As you've already stated, my name is Chris Tolman. Uh, I started Tolman Motorsport in end of 2007, um, after being made redundant by Mitsubishi on the World Rally Team, from whence I spent the last oh, wow. seven years. Um which is probably the best seven years I'd had up until that point. <laughs> Such a fantastic bunch of people, great team, great ethics, and giant killing within the rallying world. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we started Tolman in a little shed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, grew out of that workshop within 12 months. Ended up on this site here uh, with one unit. Uh, and here we are, nearly 16 years later, with five units and a few containers here and various off-site storage places, uh, <laughs> as you've already seen, pretty much outgrowing where we are at the moment and flourishing building 205s, having done lots of other diverse things along the way. Yeah, okay, let's let's sort of wind back a bit, sort of the beginning. Did you, did you do some racing? Not driving, no. Not driving, okay. Um, I don't know where I came across that. Um, before you start, how did you start, end up working in WRC? So I grew up in a tiny little village in Dorset, literally in the middle of nowhere. But my father uh, worked for a Peugeot Talbot dealer. Okay. Uh, so I grew up being fascinated with cars and dinky toys and Dukes of Hazard and all that sort of stuff. In fact, Dukes of Hazard was probably responsible for my love of all things sideways <laughs> and, and that sort of stuff. Um but my dad worked for this Talbot dealer, and uh, I remember going in one Saturday morning, they had a launch of a new car, which was the 205. Yeah. Um, and there was a brand new G 1.6 GTI there and a T16 in the showroom. 
Um, and that was really the start of everything. He then changed his job and went to work for a, another local dealer who was uh, Lada and Mazda. Okay. Which is a strange... Interesting combo. Interesting combo. But the, the, the gentleman that he worked for, the firm, was called Guy's Automobile Engineers. Um, and, and, and Richard Guy was a second generation, so his father started the business. And it was a roots dealership, i.e. the early stages of Tolbert. Yeah. Um, and Richard had actually worked in the competitions department of roots and did the London to Sydney Marathon okay. with, the, with the Hunter and built engines. Right. Um, so that was kind of during my, my growing up years, so probably from the ages of about seven or eight up until my early 20s. Um, and they did rallying. Um, started with a, with a Lada. They did the Lada Challenge. Then there was a TR7 V8. Uh, then another guy came along and we, we rallied a 323 4x4 Mazda. Then the next works 205. Um, so I, I was just hooked on rallying. Um, and everything car related. <laughs> nice. And, and were you traveling around a lot with, were you working on the cars and stuff at the same time? Yeah. I mean, then, yeah. yeah. I mean, this was all before I could drive. So my, my dad would drive the service van and do all that. And I'd just be in the passenger seat. But yeah, I was doing ser- servicing on stages and, you know, it was a, it was fantastic. I wasn't into girls particularly <laughs> or anything <laughs> like that. It was just all about cars in those early years for me and, and gave me a great grounding. And Looking back on it, I worked with people that were that were exceptional. Yeah. Um, and even though I came from this tiny place in the middle of nowhere, I was introduced to people that that have been become lifelong friends and lifelong mentors. That's really cool. And I remember someone saying to me a long time ago, it was it was it was just looking at let's say people working in a garage, a, a race event on the cars, and going. It, it was making a point about how you've just got to be nice to everyone which is just generally a life thing. But he yeah. was like, but these people, that you, if you're not nice to them now, like they love this stuff, they're involved, they're keen, and they're, at the moment they're like really young. But fast forward 20 years, what do you think they're going to be doing? Like they're going to be running this stuff. Like, yep. Have you got a, lot, a good bunch of people that you sort of met early days who have now all just sort of flourished off into various Absolutely. pieces in the motorsport world? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I was... Uh, again, not a privileged family, you know, a very poor family, normal state school, all the rest of it. But my one saviour really is I worked for Mitsubishi Rally Art Europe, mm. which was Andrew Cowan Motorsport. And that family um, was probably the best in the business. And if you look at any top-level motorsport, I guarantee you there will be a Mitsubishi Rally Art yeah. guy there. Um just off the top of my head, uh, Vettel's number one mechanic, Chris Gent, did a number of nice. events with him. He was, a, you know, he was a mechanic at Rally Art. Uh, you go back to the Braun days um, when Jensen won the title with Braun, and there was two guys doing the refueling, both ex Rally Art guys. <laughs> both, I think, you know, one of them, uh, Gary, runs an exceptionally successful WEC team and, and things now. Yeah. Um, at one point, most of I think most of the big departments at M Sport were run by ex Rally Art people, and it was you know Rally Art Mafia running. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, you go anywhere, and it's usually somebody from Rally Art somewhere along the line. Yeah, so that's cool. That, that really is good, and, and like I say, such a great great bunch of guys to work with, and, and great ethics installed by Andrew. You know, he was the the best boss I've ever had. That's really cool. And 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 what do you think it is? What is it about rallying 
or working on rally cars versus other, let's say, I don't know, working in a dealership or something. Is there something about working on rallies that gives you a set of skills that is a bit different to everything else? Absolutely. I think there is. It's You've got, first and foremost, a very high level of training and expectation within what you're doing. So you've got to be really good at what you do. You've also got a very, very short time scale in which to do it. Mm. Um, so we haven't we haven't got days. We've got minutes. <laughs> yeah. um, and we used to drill and train for that. You know, when we you know when we produced a new car in Mitsubishi, you'd spend weeks at Myra pounding around and 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 practicing gearbox changes and upright changes. And, yeah. and it was it was such a great uh, eclectic mix of people that nobody would just dictate this is what we're doing. It would be, we'll do this, right, anybody got any option, you know, what could, oh, you, you could use this socket or that extension, and if you move somebody else around here, then we can do, and we take a couple of seconds off and we can do this. And everybody just had an input, um, which was which was really, really nice. Um, but that, that mentality uh, does go forward with you. Um, if you're building an endurance racing car, build it a bit like a rally car, make, you know, Make sure you can't fit pit things in the wrong places. Right. You know, okay. Why have different brake pipe on every corner when you could have one that fits in all four corners? Then you can't get the wrong one when you've got that panic okay, to fit yeah. one. Um, interestingly, I read, I listened to Gunther Steiner's uh, thing recently, mm. um, and you know he was a rally mechanic at, at, at Mazda yeah. back in the early days, and you know, and, and he credits that with his training of you know how you get things done quickly, on time in the right way uh, and without causing problems. So it is, and I think it served me exceptionally well uh, when we ran the the race team, um, when we ran the driver development program for McLaren, a lot of these ethoses went into it, um, and which make the cars reliable. And what, talk to me a little bit about that. What, you say you ran the McLaren driver development team, what was that and how did you get, how did that happen? <laughs> uh, just being in the right place at the right time and doing things well, I guess. Um, we got into GT racing in 2015 with the gent driver that I had at the time, David Patterson. Um, we'd bought, uh, we'd been running the little tiny Ginetta G20 cars, which were bottom of the billing on the GT yeah. paddock, you know, very small cars. Uh, we had one guy that wanted to progress up into the, the G40 category. So we hired a car, did an event or two with him. I bought the car thinking we've got this guy and yeah. he never came back. We oh. couldn't sell a drive. Everybody thought, oh, they don't know what they're doing. They've got no clue about these cars, no history. So my gent at the time, I'm going to say David, he said, well, I fancy doing GT4. So we went and bought a GT4 car. So brand new GT4 car at the end of 2014. I think we did one Super Cup round, completely rebuilt the car, put our engineering knowledge into it. Um, and the first race we did, the first round of the championship in 15, put it on pole. Nice. And that lap record was only broken last year. That is cool. <laughs> it's crazy. That is cool. Absolutely crazy. What are you allowed to, when you say, you know, you put your engineering knowledge into it, what are you allowed to do to a GT4 car? Like what sort of thing are you changing and, and that sort of stuff? Without giving too much away. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, we're preparing the car. So the manufacturer, and, and you can look at it throughout the whole whole of history, the manufacturer builds a car to a budget. Um, 
that's never usually a small amount of money, but yeah. it's still to a budget. Um, and I've always been instilled in me that you, the teams are the ones that make the difference. So it, it's just a case of making sure the bolt lengths and the clamp lengths are right, that everything works in the right way. Um, okay. All the small things that's attention to detail, and it's not necessarily just about what goes into the car, it's what goes into the team. So one of the things you'll notice, we've only got one car lift here. Mm-hmm. That's because when we were working on the on the race cars, same as rally cars, um, you work on them in the workshop the same as you do in the field because then your muscle memory, the way that you do the job, the way that you approach the job is exactly the same. So okay. we replicated our workshop here in the in the garage at race weekends or the other way around, however oh, you nice. look at it. So the guys knew exactly where the tools were, where they could go for. So when there was a panic, there wasn't a panic. They could do it. They could change the parts. Yeah. Um, in that first year at Silverstone, we had a we had a shunt early on, um, and they changed a the whole rear corner, and we dropped twelve minutes. All wow. right, we were out of the race, but yeah. But we got the car went back out, drove, and was still competitive. That's good. And you're getting the seat time, because like, yeah. if you're the driver, losing that. Yeah, that's what you're spending all the money for, really. Yeah, obviously you want to win and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, but time in the car is probably the most important. Yeah, that's interesting. So essentially, the car comes in, and you're like, right, let's take the whole thing apart, and let's have a look at everything and make sure it's all, yeah, put together correctly. Yeah, and that's that's exactly what, and you know, so that was 2015, and that was our first foray into GT4. Hmm. So pole in our first event. <laughs> that record that stood for years. Um, I think later later that year at Brands Hatch, we had our first outright win in GT4, which was absolutely crazy. Um, and we finished, I think, third in Pro-Am and fourth overall that year, um, which was just phenomenal. Uh, and then the following year, we ended up running the two factory GT3 Ginettas on behalf of Ginetta. Nice. And, and improving those, which we did. Difficult year, um, full of its own challenges. Um, but again, small victories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, the car was not great uh, and its own problems, but, you know, we made it a lot, lot more reliable than it was um, and, and had a, a great year and learned a huge amount. What sort of things should go wrong? Catalytic converters would catch fire. Okay, not ideal. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, all sorts of things. Yeah, we had, you know, as we pushed the envelope, we had a lot of things. But again, it's all a great experience. Mm. Um, so for 2017, um, my driver decided that uh, that he wanted to get the new McLaren. Um, we'd seen it testing and developing throughout 16. Looked like it was going to be very competitive. At that point, his son worked for the F1 team, so there was a bit of a, a heartstring draw to it. Yeah. Um, so I think we had one of the first customer cars of 2017. So what was that? Uh, 570S. 570S. Mm. Yeah. And had the most fun year. GT4. 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 Yeah. Um, did lots of testing, uh, started to overcome lots of problems with the car. Um and the f- what was effectively the factory team garage 59 at the time we we, we shared a garage with them at spa um we outperformed them <laughs> um nice and were more reliable uh 
and yeah, and then we we just did so much work, and I, and that was really instrumental in how we we got the contract. That as a as a team, like pole etc. There's part obviously you you've got the drivers you've got, so you don't necessarily have control of that. No, but to say we were more reliable, then you're like, oh no, hang on. That that as a driver looking at that situation, I go, oh no, no that's that's significant mm. because that means you've prepped it better, done worked on things that fail, etc., etc., etc. Well, if you look at the 2019 upgrades that they rolled out on the car, majority of stuff that we developed here. Do you get a little? Do you get any, any association from changing uh, I stuff sold, like that? I sold IP to McLaren, oh, which nice. was run out globally on cars. That's well done. Yeah, that's cool. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a re- that must be a great positive like feedback loop of going. We think this is the changes that need to be done. We've done it, and they've gone. Yeah, no, you're right. And again, the times that we did in seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen with those cars, with the, the who then became a factory driver, Joe Osborne. Some of those records still stand. That's cool. Um, and when you know when COVID hit and everything went south and it all changed, um, another team. Uh, picked up the contract and and again we we outperformed them hugely both performance and reliability nice so although the history books show that we didn't win anything yeah um we finished second in 18 and 19 by one point oh <laughs> so close yeah and, and and that was with new drivers in the program every year so there's no continuity in yeah. bringing on new talent um and and that and some of them especially in uh in 19 they were tempestuous it must be young it, things. It must be interesting. Like where the so the driver development program is that young drivers sort of working their way up from whatever karting single seater type situation, or it was a very where these people come from and are they trying a, to get to? It was a very noble thing that McLaren tried to do. So what they wanted to do was give people with predominantly talent, but not necessarily money, yeah, the opportunity to go racing. That's cool. Um, because let's make no bones about it, racing is exceptionally expensive and most people that make it have got money behind them and backing. Yeah. Um, so the idea of driver development was to take people that didn't necessarily have that. Um, you know, we have one guy that I think his father died or passed away. Um, so all the funding sort of went, you know. Yeah. Um, but he had an exceptional talent. Uh, we, ha- we had... Uh, some, um, in fact, the, one of the guys from the first year has gone on to be a serious racer and winning a lot at you know at world endurance level. That's cool. Um, so yeah, it was a really good thing, and it wasn't just about driving the cars. They, they each each driver had a mentor and a coach. Um, they got a lot of media training. They were actually employed by McLaren, so they were earning a wage. Oh, it nice. was it was a whole rounded package, and it, and it was a huge thing. We simply looked after the cars and the racing yeah. at the circuit. You know, we weren't we weren't involved in in anything else other than that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then they needed a stable, good platform, well prepared cars, very well presented to represent the brand. That's pretty cool. Running um, something like the McLaren with a carbon tub and things like that is that does that present some challenges or differences to a sort of more conventionally built car? Not really. No, it's. Um, it was an exceptional piece of engineering. We have, if you Google McLaren crash at Spa, you'll see the this <laughs> crash where the car, it, it went wrong at the bottom of Eau Rouge and then went into the wall head on. And I think the 
I think the data showed that it hit the wall at 170 kilometers an hour. Um, that was in Quali. Uh, the car was out for warm up on the following morning. And wow! It, and it had a it, everything from the windscreen forward was new. Um, but the top was fine. The driver didn't even have a sore neck. How? How? That's imp- yeah. Mainly because of the hand system, because it yeah. was, it was head on. But yeah, all of the crash structure did exactly what it was supposed to do. It all worked in the right way. In fact, when we put the new legs on the car and everything, and put the we all again goes back to rallying days. We had spare suspension, and it was all set to all the right length, so oh, okay. it could just go on the car. We put it on, put it on the patch, and it all tracked and, and was perfect. Nice, you know. And the guy, the the the, the team literally worked all night yeah. to get it out. Um, so that was testament to how how strong and how good the car was. That is impressive, and that I, I mean, it's that stuff I wouldn't think about because I've got no <laughs> issue of being like, yeah, we've obviously set everything up before it goes on the car. You're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like, you've got time at home; you don't have time at the track. Like, correct as much stuff as you don't have to change as possible. That's that's good. What running something like, and then did you do with the genetics? Mm. As someone looking at the Genetas, they look like something that's probably cheaper to buy, but still performs well performance-wise. Are they a bit? Are they cheaper than? Yes, they are. Um, what Lawrence Tomlinson did um, with Genetta is probably one of the best things that could ever be done for British motorsport. He invested hugely in the company, and he bought affordable, competitive policed racing to Britain mm. in across a huge platform um from and you can you can literally start in a Ginetta and, and work your way to Formula One. Lando Norris was in a Ginetta Junior. Yeah. You know, and worked his way through. I've been to a few awards dinners and been on the same table, you know, when he was a young kid. Um so yes, they are affordable. It, it was a it was a it was always a little bit of a double edged sword in British GT because it wasn't exactly a road car; it was a race car, yeah, which made it really good. So they're not cheap, but they were fast, more economical because they were actually a racing car, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah in terms yeah. of running, you're not converting a yeah. Bentley or something. You're not taking a road car and trying to make it do something <laughs> else. So, so in one respect, it's slightly unfair. Yeah, uh, but in the other respect, it was really good. But yeah, you can do lots of championships. They're really affordable, really great things. Um, and we had a great time with them. It's cool having a, a manufacturer in like that because obviously, when you look at a grid, I presume a lot of like gentleman drivers, they go, they have, they kind of have a car in mind. They yep. want to race, like, I don't know, a Porsche, a Ferrari, or whatever. Um, so it's not necessary. And you're sort of assuming that the BOP, etc., they're all going to come out. I guess some other drivers will go well, what's the most affordable performance kind of way of doing, what's the most sensible way of doing this? And then it varies. It seems to vary between seasons of going, actually the AMG, that's that's kind of the car to have this year. You don't know that until you start the year. Did you, did you, you guys ran a, a Bentley? We did, yep. We did a Bentley for one round uh, in 2021, last round of the championship. We, when I say last minute deal, I think the guy phoned me up two weeks, 14 days before the race weekend. I went, do you think we could do it? 
So, Did he have a car? No. Okay. Interesting. So that sounds I went, interesting. Leave it, leave it with me. <laughs> so a couple of phone calls. A day later, we're going up to Cumbria to M Sport. Uh, got in the car, drove it. Uh, did the deal. Two of my guys were up there for a couple of days prepping the car, getting everything sorted. Um, I think we got the car in the workshop two days before Donington. Um, but we turned up at Donington. The car was liveried. Everybody was in Bentley Motorsport branded clothing. It wasn't a trouble-free event, but we, again, we outperformed the Bentley that had been doing the whole season. <laughs> um <laughs> And I had a great run. So, yeah, it was... And then, but it didn't happen for the following year. Yeah, so. yeah. That, is, that's, that sounds kind of intense. Quite fun, but intense. As yeah. you said, all the prep that you want to do to mean that you can perform the best. Had that guy done some racing with you guys before? Yes. Yeah, he actually ran with us in the GT3 in 2016. So, okay. it, you know, he was a, he was like, a, known, you guys. a known client. He knew us. He knew we'd do a really good job. Um so yeah, it was great. And when you get a new car in that you've not run before, mm -hmm. is there a huge learning process? Absolutely. I mean, again, with with Bentley, huge thanks to M Sport. They supplied us with a with a technician okay. that knew the car. Um, I have always been blessed with exceptional staff. Um, whether that's because I've got high standards, I don't know. But I've always had really good guys and. You know, all they want to do is do the best job mm. possible. So, you know, they wouldn't be in the bar of an evening. They'll be sitting reading the books and yeah. trying to find out all the information. Um, but, yeah, I think we had to do a diff change in between sessions and, and they'd not seen it at all and they still did it in 20 minutes. <laughs> so, yeah. That's, that is cool. That is, that is really cool. And then, so let's come towards some of the, the roadcasts. And then, so you've done... Been running, you started off doing some WRC stuff and then now you've got the Tom and Motorsports running race cars. You've, when you look, when I walk in downstairs, there's a eclectic mix um, of different things. So you seem to be running, you know, you're preparing some rally cars, some road cars, some track cars. Like, was this sort of planned? Is Was this, where do you, <laughs> how has this all sort of evolved? Not, I not, guess. And now we've got the, the 205s. <laughs> um, so when I started, I called the company Tom and Motorsport because that's what I love. Motorsport yeah. is in my brains, in my veins. Um, the racing has been great and great fun. And we just evolved in the direction that the cars and the drivers take you. Mm. Um, one of the big things that the company has done for the last sort of 15 years is. Um, we've probably been the premier restorer and technical agent for the Mark 14 Lotus Elite. Okay. Um, which was, without getting too geeky, was Chapman's racing car for the road. I think the car that first made Lotus go bust the first time. <laughs> um, but essentially was, in roundabout terms, a Lotus 12 Formula 1 car on the road. Um, full composite car, so no chassis, all fiberglass, um, all aluminium overhead cam engine disc brakes all round, and 1957. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Um, did very well at Le Mans with Chapman uh, and Jim Clark and things like that. Um, so we, we got into those purely by chance with a, with a client um, and ended up, like I say, for 15 years restoring 
lots of those, producing lots of racing components, uh, improving them massively. Um, so we've always done the restorations uh, to a very, very high standard and the racing. And our restorations come from the standpoint of we always apply the motorsport engineering rather than road car stuff. Okay. So, And how would you, what would you say, how would you differentiate motorsport engineering versus road car in the sense of something like that? So I suppose it's, a good, it's like an attitude, I guess. Some of it's an attitude or a philosophy, but some of it, so for instance, on the plumbing on the car, we'll always use the best plumbing that we can have yeah, rather than something that's either, either will do or is original, um, especially now. I mean, fuel, normal pump fuel in the last 10, 15 years has changed hugely. Mm. So you've got to have, you know, stuff that's virtually bomb-proof when it comes. So all the stuff we use will be uh, fluorocarbon viton um, rather than rubber. Okay. Um, so that it can't get affected by fuel. Okay, so you can deal with the ethanol. Exactly. I mean, that's that it's, that's a, a whole topic in itself. of <laughs> Not that we'd recommend it. Modern cars. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and the various problems. So you're, you're running those. And at what point of time did, I guess you had various clients that maybe had done an elite and then were like, I've got something else. Will you do that? Absolutely. So one of the great things uh, came from that was we built a Lotus 19 recreation. Is that like a sports car? Sports car. So that actually, so it, again, it was like a Lotus 18, which was a Formula Junior and a Formula One car, but widened by about a foot and a half. Yeah. Um, and this had a 4.2 litre Oldsmobile engine in the back. We were unofficially the first people to be invited to Goodwood with a reproduction car. Nice. And we won first time out the Whitson Trophy, the fastest race there. <laughs> did that car get banned? <laughs> Slightly. Um, we did go back. I think we finished third again another year because it was wet the first year. Oh, you were only quick because it was wet. Like, well, we were still quicker than everyone else. Thank you. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's really nice. So, yeah, we've done good with a few times with that car and, again, made, you know, made lots of friends. Uh, but anytime you put a pro driver in one of our cars, it seems to be. It does, it does really well. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And then at what point in time did the, the, the 205 start to, I know they've been in the background for a while, but what point in time did you start to go, hang on, maybe we should build some, I presume you hadn't necessarily been restoring any before that point. Not in the slightest. No, I'd actually bought a car um, off of eBay about seven or eight years ago, just because it was, I thought it was going to be like one that I had. It was a Sorento green. I thought it was a 1.9, but it wasn't. It just had the wheels on, but it was cheap. Bought it, stuck it in the storage unit. Uh, then one day my oh, my workshop manager, Nick, and myself went to look at a Clio Williams that had been restored um, by a television program. Mm -hmm. um, and we both came away thinking, oh, I wouldn't call that a restoration. It, it was a, a recommission, if you like, to sell it and make it okay. look nice, but it wasn't a restoration. What would you say the difference? Uh, well, they'd had bits of the car painted. It wasn't stripped back and all painted. Okay. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was. Yeah, it wasn't taken down to bare metal. No, not at all. Fixed. So the discussion was, oh, Christ, they want a lot of money for that. Well, we've got that 205. Do we think we could commercially restore a car and sell it and make it a viable option? Yeah. Um, and this was... 
this was early 2019. Um, very busy with all the racing stuff. We'd done, we'd done some shows. We'd done the classic car show at the NEC in the November of 18. Um, with two cars, we took a Lotus Sunbeam and an Escort Cosworth that we'd restored for clients. Um, lots of compliments on the car. But we came away from that and people didn't really know what we did. They thought yeah. we were car salespeople. Because I think because... Yeah, because you'd brought a few different cars. Well, we we bought these two beautiful cars, but we, we, we'd done a stand that looked really good. Yeah. You know, it was all crisp whiteboarding, yeah. you know, on-point branding, you know, trees and all the stuff, everybody's smart. So it wasn't the normal restoration business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then interestingly, the, the the chaps over the road at the sign place, um, they'd had a freelance guy there for six months. And, and, and the chap over there said, oh, you need to go next door and see car that Chris has got, and it's amazing. And, and the guy goes, I thought they were a race team. Yeah, but they do all this other stuff. So we we, we had a discussion, and, and we've actually had to almost ram down people's throats exactly what we did. Yeah. So this is a guy that's been coming here for six months and had no idea we did this stuff. So, and that, and that is like next door. That's literally. not. It's not yeah. driving past. It's parking next door. So uh, at the start of nineteen, we you know with the with the race program taking off and the, and the business growing, we'd employed I think we'd employed three new people on the historic side. So I said to Nick, I said, right, let's, let's drag the 205 out. Let's use that as a training for these guys okay, yeah. to, to do a project how we want it to do it so they can follow them, all our Form 700 paperwork, um, see whether they're any good. Um, What's Form 700 paperwork? Oh, it's a... it's a it, Form 700 is a military aircraft paperwork that I've sort of plagiarized and okay. used, used on ours, so we've got some traceability in jobs and, and, okay. and, and contract stuff. It's daunting when you first see it, but trying, you know, the, the best way is to show somebody. So by doing the project, yeah. we can show them. So we we dragged the car out and, and used it, and then at this at the at the show the, fo the following year at the end of nineteen at the classic car show, we had a stand and and we had the two hundred five body shell on a plinth painted, just a shell. Yeah, we had a rear beam redone. We had I think one seat and a, an engine block and head all blasted and put we you know with the perspex cover on it. We then had uh, one of the Sunbeam Lotus project cars that we built. But again, instead of putting the car there, we put it up on stands, took the wheels off, took the bonnet off, took yeah, the door yeah, off. Yeah. Uh, we partnered with uh, Superguard on that stand. So they was, they spent the whole show, you know, teaching people how to apply ceramic coatings and this sort of stuff. And, and bearing in mind, this was nine to, end of 19. I had the, the race director from British GT that I'd known for the last seven years ago. Oh my god! I had no idea you did two hundred fives. <laughs> Can you restore mine? I've had one in the garage for twenty years, and it, it, it just proved the point that people had no idea what we really did. Yeah. Um, so that's where the two hundred five thing started. Um, then, of course, COVID hit. Um, we had to unfortunately lose a lot of staff. Uh, the, all the racing stopped. McLaren pulled the plug. Um, so when things started to get back to normal, I sort of started putting the car together myself. Mm. Um, and then I went, oh, I could improve this. <laughs> oh, they didn't idle very well. I'll put it on modern management. But I don't want anybody to see it, so I hid it all. And and that was literally the start. It, me bugging around with something that I enjoyed. Um, 
And then our marketing people picked up on it. Gone, oh, this is really cool. So then it started doing the rounds of the magazines. And as it started doing the rounds of the magazines, I started changing things and doing more stuff. And eventually it got to the point where Top Gear magazine wanted it for their, believe it or not, their performance car of the year review. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And they're the ones that christened a Tolman edition. Um, and by that point, we'd, we'd modified the car quite a lot, done all sorts of things. And, and, and it came runner-up. Mega. Unbelievable. That must have been quite an like a cool moment, <laughs> memorable. I had these instructions. They're like, "Oh, can you be at uh, Dunsfold for quarter to eight on Monday morning?" Okay, what's going on? Oh, well, they've got a couple of days filming, and you know that's. And there was a rumor of I might have to bring a golf back, which I couldn't understand. So I went down the first time I've ever been to Dunsfold. And all these transporters are unloading cars as Bentley and Lamborghini <laughs> and Pro Driver there and the McLaren guys turned up and I'm like, why is my 205 parked here? This is nuts. <laughs> and then, yeah, then it, yeah, yeah, it's made it through to the final. Oh, and then, yeah, came runner up. Super cool. And it was brand new then. I think it had done less than 100 miles. So they took it off and drove it down to Devon and threw it around the track and loved it. Huh. And then it, the journey continued, I guess. And so at that point, you'd not, you hadn't, had you sold any? No, no, it was, it was purely an idea then. And like I say, they christened the, the Tolman edition. That was not, not something that I'd ever dreamt of or thought yeah. of, or, you know, I was almost embarrassed by it, you yeah. know, um, but they loved it. So we then sat down again and went, right, well, okay, well, what is a Tolman edition? And I said, <laughs> yeah. well, well, if I was going to do it, I'd want to do this. And I I had this idea of doing a digital dash and oh, I'd want to do a, you know, pokey engine. And so that was a bit of a pipe dream. Then I had a, and I think it was, so that was, that was the end of 21. Uh, then I came back after Christmas break and I had an email saying, dear Mr. Tolman, I've bought this car. Give me a call. How do we proceed? <laughs> <laughs> um, sp spoke to the guy. Um, Did you have a price in your head at that point? No. Uh, spoke to the guy. He said, "Oh well, I, you know, just want the best best two hundred five in the world." And I sort of quite arrogantly said, "Well, I think I've got the best one in the world at the moment." <laughs> I said, "However, we have been having this idea. How do you reckon to have this?" And sort of did the outline to him. Yeah. And he said, "Give me a price." Okay. So. And then sat down and went, oh, Christ. Uh, so I came back. And he went, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so Have I picked the right price? Should, I, should it be more? So, so that, and that is literally how it started. Um, we built that car and, 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 it, and it was just snowballing. More magazines loved it. More journalists loved it. Um, then, of course, Top Gear television program said, can we have it? Um, which was mind-blowing so we actually took two cars to top gear for that episode and <laughs> crazily we ended up almost having three cars on the show um so we took the sunbeam lotus down there which was on static display yeah um but gave that to chris harris to drive and he was like oh my god this is cool. so cool <laughs> um and then when we went to the studio to do the to, to do the filming there yeah. unbeknown unbeknown to me at that time a mclaren gt4 car turned up 
which was our old car that oh, we'd really? sold to to another team, uh, and so there was sort of three cars there that we'd done on the show That's that super night. Cool, yeah. Um, and then we 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 actually put a lot of effort into doing the Tolman edition, what it would look like, what the various stages would be. So we launched that on the Monday morning at eight o'clock after Top Gear appeared yeah. on the Sunday night. Um, social media melted, email melted. Wow. Um, phone calls from all sorts of people all over the world. Um, and that sort of built throughout the end of two of 22 and just snowballed last year. Um, and yeah, just crazy. And the, oh, the picture you see behind you, we were invited by Peugeot to the 40th anniversary at the A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Museum in Sosho. Um, Park just right outside the front. That, that. Is a really cool, like, lots of stuff happening. But to have Peugeot go, we really like what you're doing. Yeah. We even got a special award in the concourse because the concourse was only for standard cars, but they asked us to go in it. And they said, you know, this is a special award because we think it's the best car we've ever seen in the show. Wow. So, wow. That must have felt good. <laughs> it, it gives me goosebumps now. So, yeah. And they're like, oh, we really like this. Can you supply us these bits? Yeah. What about this? Yeah. Could you make these? Yeah, we can. So. <laughs> awesome. Absolutely crazy. So it's really good. And and then the sales have been steady. Um, and But as it's growing and as more people are knowing about it, we're getting more and more. And so in terms of offerings, that, that was sort of that car that appeared on Top Gear was then, then became the Tolman edition. But was the Tolman edition sort of that car as it was then or was it like a bit more more over that uh so as it originally appeared it wasn't essentially a tolman edition um but over the, the course of those two years we 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 defined what that was yeah. what the spec was going to be um obviously that meant that lent itself to a price increase because of the cost of parts and what we were doing yeah the level of spec um so where that is, that is now really the, the prototype of the Tolman edition. The first customer car, the red car, that, which is the first Evo, which is the one that all the press have seen and love. And of course, that got invited last year and made the final of the auto car performance car of the year. <laughs> so they're out. <laughs> there we are up in North Wales with Pro Drive and the P25, BMW, yeah. Porsche, Lamborghini. And it finished, I think, fifth. That is so cool. It, yes. And so what happened to the car in between 
what was then defined as Tom Edition and then Evo. Uh, so that was the, really the first customer car. So the, the Evo was where I wanted to do the special engine. I wanted to do the special dashboard. Um, I wanted to be able to offer proper brake package, which we couldn't buy off the shelf. Yeah, you know, everybody's put four pot brakes on a two hundred five, but we wanted to use the right products. So they're an AP Racing road car caliper. They're not a motorsport item. Yeah, um, they're not a you know a low cost option. But I want I needed to do it so that it fitted within the standard wheels, no spacers, yeah. no silly offsets, no all those sorts of things. So that's that's really where the engineering's gone into it, is to producing something that can bolt on and that can work properly. And is it, like, it seems to be the case from me visiting various people, it's like you can take a standard and then literally just insert like any car and go, I want to modify it a little bit. And you bolt on some parts, et cetera, and it costs like X. But... And this, you were showing me around earlier, and this this came up of like once you start digging into it and going, well, we kind of need, if we're doing this, we need to do this properly. There's like various stages, but the price just suddenly just goes like, yeah, okay, but we need a bespoke X, so it's like ten X of that original part price, yeah. And the builds go from like let's say a build. I don't know what what, what does yours cost? They start at sixty five. Is that in, including a car or plus a donor car? Plus donor car. Well, in terms of a bespoke plus project, five. that's really cheap versus like other stuff you can buy now. It's exceptionally economical for what you're getting. Yeah. Um, and I've seen how prices of cars just like, ramp, it just ramps. And they go, well, yeah, we have to do our own bespoke wiring room or we have to do our own lights. And, and then it's just like the per unit cost per car is unbelievable how it seems like you you guys have worked out some really good ways of one keeping that down within reason of going okay wiring limbs for example <laughs> you showed me some of the wiring limbs and some of the issues uh can you talk to me a little bit about some of the tricky things of taking a 205 wiring loom and then putting in, I don't know, modern aircon and making sure everything works and, and all of that? It, it, it's just a process of making it logical and trying to do the best we can. It, like you say, if you were to do a complete bespoke loom for the car, it would add so much cost that it would almost be prohibitive. So yeah. we have to take what we've got and try and fix it. You know, we use a lot of new components where we can, but with the wiring loom, it simply wasn't viable to do a whole car because all of the plugs are bespoke to the lights and things like that. So even if you were to make a new one, you'd be grafting old stuff into new. So unless every single thing it touches is new, new. which is completely prohibitive. I think in, in roundabout terms, if you want to do lights, you're looking at a million pound. (laughs) That's that's what it does to do a light and have it, you know, have all the right approvals and all the things. So it's just not, we can't do it. The project wouldn't stomach it. Um, But getting the shell back to bare metal, and replacing everything and doing it. Yeah, we can do that. It's, it's, it looks, it's, it's pretty cool. And, and it's, it's, it's so interesting that like the economics stack up, it is a 205. Have you, have you find potential customers come across and they, how do they, have you had people sort of struggling with the price or have most people gone, okay, I sort of, I've done other stuff. Have most people done other, tried other builds first or? There's quite a few people that have got singers or they've got okay, this, they've yeah. got that. 
I don't think there's particularly anyone that's not got anything or had experience. Anybody that's had a car restored professionally knows how much it costs. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't matter what the badge says on the front. If it's got an engine, a transmission, an interior, four wheels, yeah. body, it's ours. You know, there's probably very little difference in the cost of the parts between marks in reality. Yeah. But ours are going to be the same. So that's where it, that's where it all stacks up. The, the only way we can do it as economically as we can is because we're doing a bit of volume and we're building in matches. Yeah. And then making sure that we assemble efficiently and quickly. Uh, interestingly, the comments on price, I've had a lot of people... I've had nobody that's just gone right. I just want the standard car. Yeah, everybody's had options. Yeah, and they're nearly a hundred grand. <laughs> nearly all of them are hundred grand. Yeah. right. Then uh, you said to people, "Well, why don't you just go for an Evo?" Because oh, it's too much money. Or the favourite one is, "Oh, that's Porsche money." Interesting. Yeah, um, and I was chatting to a friend yesterday, and it, if you go back to like nineteen eighty five. I had a picture of a Lamborghini Countach on my wall, you know, the poster car. Yeah. You never saw one of those. If you saw one in a de- in a dealership, it was like, oh my god. Yeah. You, you possibly if you'd gone to London, but you just you didn't see them, um, and they were a lot of money. You know, they were more than a house and, mm-hmm. and all this. You fast forward to today, and a none of the manufacturers make a sporty car within their range. They have a brand within the group that provides that. So in the last 10 years, you've had the the sort of resurgence of the GT car because everybody can jump into a Porsche and a Lamborghini and a McLaren. You see them on the road all the time. There's an awful lot of normal Ferraris on the road. Yeah. um, In the anything from 150 to 250 grand mark. Your modern day Countach is your Pagani or your Bugatti yeah. at multiple millions. Yeah, it's crazy. So, yeah, it is crazy. And so at the 65 grand star, or even the 125 for the Evo, you know, you're getting a lot of bespoke car for a relatively sensible amount of money that somebody else isn't doing. Yeah, if you want, I know it's, it's one of the reasons why people like Porsche. I, I like Porsche as a brand just generally, but... I know a lot of customers like the fact that you can spec a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. They're like, they, oh, I, I want to have this bit of stitching, this color. Whereas lots of manufacturers, you, you can't do that. No. Whereas like Porsche, people go and they do it on their like McCann and they'll have all these random stuff and they will love that process. But a McCann could easily, probably cost more than a, one of the Evos. Maybe, I don't know. If you really maxed it out, I'm yep. sure it could. And you go... At the end of the day, it's still a McCann. Like when you sell it, you're still going to lose like half your value or whatever. Whereas if you're interested, and I guess time is helpful for clients in this sort of scenario, like once they've been around for some time, people can say, oh, okay, someone sold someone sold one and they got their money back. That's pretty good. They might even get more. Who knows? Or they might get less. But once you start to get a bit of history, people go, oh, okay. Well, it's not like... I'm binning off all that money. It's in a bespoke, cool product of which there aren't very many of them. And you you hit the nail on the head when you said about it's it's the process. And without fail, all of my customers 
make decisions with their heart, not their head. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're all passion projects. But this is a with all of these cars, they are they're a bespoke build. So if you want a crazy colour, pretty much you can have it. Yeah. Um the cost of doing the upholstery is pretty much the same. So if you want a different colour leather and you want the stitching to match, you can have it. It's all being done anyway. It's, so. all been, it's all being done anyway. You know, unless you want, you know, this specific cow from Bologna yeah. that's been fed on this, and and you know that, you know, that's going to put a, a massive increase on the cost <laughs> of the materials. Or you want gold flecks in the paint, then that's going to add, a, you know, maybe add another couple of three thousand to the, to yeah. the cost of the painting. But otherwise, no, you can have what you like, and they love it. They really do, and they're involved, and 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 they they want to see the progress, and it, and it's a it's a, it's it's the baby. Do you, you get? Know? Do you have constant communication with the customers? We try to. Yeah, we really do. We use we use various apps for this. We we recently got into one called Global Workshop last year, which enables us to run the business a lot uh, a lot more economically. Um, what, what does that help you with? Uh, it, and if you notice, there's QR cards that codes everywhere in the workshop no i've not seen that um so the guys all of the guys have got mobile phones so they can they log on and off on each job so it's time tracking okay um they can take a picture directly within the app that goes to that car and that project oh, nice. and put notes on it without having to then go oh, i've got to download my phone onto yeah. the server or this and the other we can also then give the the client a login and they can see pictures and progress oh nice so yeah it and, they can, and then i guess can you decide how much of it yes. they can see? So in theory, they could be like, they've literally started, they're working on my car right now. Right now, someone is on my car. Yeah. Oh, there's a picture. That's cool. Yeah. That is, I, I've heard it from various people that build bespoke projects of like, that's the bit that people kind of, it's not what they pay for, but a lot of people seem to get to the end and go, that was the huge, that is a huge part of the, yeah. The, the process is a huge part of the value to what they're doing. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. And who doesn't like deciding exactly what they want? We all have in our head, like, oh, if I could, I would do. Precisely. Do you, have you had any random sort of like slightly unusual or requests for things in cars because of an owner? I don't know. A secret storage pouch for... Something or other, or anything like that. Not yet. We've got we've got a pair of um, child seats that we're trimming to match the interior. Oh, nice! Because the they, cool. they they want the car and they want to take the kids in it. Yeah. and Travel down to the south of France. So yeah, that's all all, all got to match. That's fun. Uh, yeah, um, but nothing nothing James Bond like yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but anything's possible. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. It'll be interesting to sort see back see in like a couple of years if you've had you know where these things have gone so at the moment in terms of the cars in have you what car number are you on now have you delivered any cars yet where are you at uh we've delivered the first customer car um we've now got six 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 cars currently in build where this is 205s right yeah there is a 405 we're doing as well okay uh, a porsche uh, a Ford Escort. <laughs> so they're all <laughs> yeah. Tolman editions. Um, so yeah, there's quite a lot going on. Oh, there's interesting. A, there's a lot of things happening in the background as well. So you're doing a Porsche? Yeah. As a Tolman edition? Yeah. 
before we get onto that, with the, with the 205, what did you, with the sort of base car and what you wanted to change, what were you sort of aiming for in terms of how it's going to drive differently when you finished? I think the ethos of the Tolman edition is you're taking something that is already an icon that everybody loves and you're just bringing it up to date so that the reality matches the imagination and yeah. the memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we all do, we're all guilty of it. Oh, they were amazing cars. You know, you get, oh, it's not very quick now, is it? Oh, it doesn't do this or it doesn't do that. So, so with the 205, we didn't want to change what it looked like because that's what people love. We didn't want to change how it works because it still needs to feel like a 205. So we worked very hard when we tuned the suspension to still give it that feel, but it just needs to be a bit sharper when it turns in, just ride a little bit better. Um, the brakes need to be better. We've got more power because everything's got more power now. Yeah. Um, but it runs better and starts better. We've got LED lights because, you know, they need to be a bit brighter than they were. We've got a modern uh, in-car entertainment so that you, when you get in, your phone connects. You can speak on the radio, you know, with the with the phone. You, you've yeah. got streaming. Um, you walk up to it and you've just got a little tiny key fob with a one press. It's demobilized, de-alarmed. Yeah. You, you haven't got things you've got to put in holes like the old <laughs> <laughs> the old immobilizers or keypads or or things like that. So it's really just to make it a usable in today's world and make it better in that yeah. respect. So that's kind of what we've applied, and, and we, we had a request for a client to do it on a Ford XR3i. So we're working on that, and that's you know the same thing. So 16 valve cylinder head, digital dash, improved handling, improved nice. brakes. Um, the Porsche is a little bit different. It's actually a, a good friend of mine's, but he hasn't got singer money. Yeah, but he's desperate for a car, and we found this one which was kind of really cool. So it'll be a, a race car-esque thing as an RSR was. Okay. But very nicely trimmed. Based very on what's the base? It's a 79 SC. Okay. Yeah. So it's actually a good base. Yeah. Uh, steel wide arch shelled, all steel panels. So that the, the bodywork is good. Mm. Um, I think it'll be a best part of a 400 horsepower engine, six pot brakes. Fruity. Yeah. And an SC is pretty, that's punchy. Yeah. Big, uh, big G50 box. Limited slip diff. That'd be fun. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, it it a hundred percent resonates with me in this type of build. Up up until fairly recently I had a backdated SE. Okay. Um, a seventy eight done by Auto Farm. Um and I yeah, I sold it not that long ago. But I look I like older cars, but I definitely have come uh, come into this world from modern cars. Whereas if that's the car that you liked and you liked it at the time and you've owned it and you've kept owning it, then it's sort of, it is what it is. Um, that for me would be, I have a 997 and they, it's kind of always been that car. But in 20 years time, I might look back and go, okay, things have changed not changed a lot. Like, what do you do to keep it as a sort of modern thing? Because as you say, we all have this, this sort of dream image of what driving Rose, that car rose tinted spectacles rose yeah exactly <laughs> and you might you may never have even driven the car like i think i drove a um 
a, a classic mini that someone had had built, and I'd, I'd never driven one before. And I drove it, and I, I was just going away. I was like, "That's kind of shit." Like, I, I apologies if if, if that is. I, I don't know. This one was a bit funny, but I kind of came back and went, "Okay, yeah, no, that is not. That is not what I had in my head." And I don't know whether the car ever would be what I had in my head, but it's very easy to look at older cars and dream up this scenario of what they're going to be like, mm -hmm. and without connecting it to a reality in any way, shape or form. And you are limited as to what you can do. I mean, a, the classic Inskonis Mini is a, a very unique thing. And you, if you want it to behave and drive like a modern car, you're, you know not, you're changing that car. Yeah, it's a different car. Um, interesting. We are doing one for a client um, that wants to, wants to use it as a daily driver. Nice. So it will be, it will be very sympathetically upgraded. Um, and everything we try and do, or everything we do, we try to make it non-invasive, so that okay. we don't ruin the value or change things. So, with with the mini, actually, it's a good example. So LED lights, so that it, yeah. you, you can see, yeah, uh, uh, heated screen, Bluetooth connection, so that you know phone will work and a bit of music if you want it. Um, but then engine management, yeah. So fuel injected. It's going to start lambda control, so it will start run be good yeah do you do um do you do any sound deadening and stuff like that in the, the two of vibes we put a lot more sound deadening in them yeah so they're less tinny more more how do you describe it? audi-esque in yeah. how the door closes and and things like that but yeah just to make it a lot nicer car because again you forget how thin and how small they were and how much we put up with 30 40 years ago yeah have you changed, had to change the suspension geometry or anything, or is it still sort of the same mounting points and stuff like that? It's all it's all the same mounting points to an extent. We have changed things, which you know, one of the the things with the two hundred five was it was they did have huge lift off oversteer, right? Um, which we've tried to quell a little bit, um, but it's still got that dancing feeling to it when you want to really hustle it. Yeah, I've I have not driven one, but I, I hear that they are quite like that. So if you just go into a roundabout turn and then lift off, are you are you going around in an original? Uh, at like, you could even be. at like low speeds. You could be, yeah. But again, some of some of that some of that is bad setup. Some of that is bad tires because yeah. you know you've got some cheap awful tires that have been on it for fifteen years and they're terrible. Um, one of the big things that's helped us hugely is is our time with Michelin and Michelin's young time range of tires. So they're making tires to fit the old cars but with the modern technology and it's transformational yeah 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 i guess you've got significantly more grip at the rear in all conditions yeah but presumably still a nice fun balance yeah yeah that's pretty cool well they, they look like a lot of fun um and i guess the reason why i'm here is i've seen all of the reviews and whatnot of and everyone says it they're pretty wicked so so well done <laughs> thank you i think the crucial thing is that they're fun but you're not going very fast yes and 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 to sort of quantify that the the owner of the red car he came in and he drove that and he came back and he, oh my god it's so much fun he said, i wasn't really going that fast and i said yeah i said what do you get the kick out you know doing 160 mile an hour in the porsche turbo it's so capable. It doesn't feel like you're going that fast. Yeah. I said, 
is it the kick that you've done the speed or you're enjoying what you're doing or I mean, you're right. Came back three days later and I said, oh, can you sell these cars? <laughs> but it's it's that feeling that's enjoyment. Totally. And and that's where the fun bit comes. All right, you're doing 50, 60 mile an hour, not 150. Yeah. But it still feels fun and it feels great. It's It's really interesting, that one. I think because of how modern cars are, most modern cars, none of them are fun at low speeds, really. Like occasionally you'll get something that has a night overtired huge huge wheels huge tires so you've got lots and lots of grip um because they usually got inordinate amounts of power i mean modern cars with you know oh i've got 800 horsepower i've got this not when you're pulling away it's all managed yeah you know you can't yeah you put you put something with a with a power to weight ratio of 300 brake per ton without any electronics that's bloody lively <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you, you get in your SF ninety. Oh, it's a thousand horsepower. Not when you're pulling away. It's probably about two or three hundred yeah. until it's moving, and then it and then it kicks in. And and as you say, you've got loads of grip. Are you having fun? But it's it's very difficult to experience the opposite of that. Now, you unless you come here and say, "Hey, can I drive one of those?" You can't or, buy a lightweight car, can you? You unless can't you buy a, a lightweight car. car. Um, there is a, uh, I've, I know, well, they're stopping to make them now, but I've always liked Fiesta STs. I drove the mm-hmm. Fiesta ST edition and, um, this, the internet's quite funny around that sort of car. I think I posted a thing on TikTok and there was low, everyone was, I said, this is one of the funnest cars you can buy today yeah. at definitely at like 30 miles an hour. Cause you go into a roundabout and if you lift off, you feel something happen full yeah. stop. You feel something happen. Whereas any other car, nothing happens. It's just like a bit of understeer, whatever, carry on. And the internet is just, it's specifically TikTok. It's like, yeah, but it's not going to be as fun as an SF90 or something. And you're like, look, the people that have driven these things and have driven the other things, there is something in this. Yeah, and I've got a client that's got an SF90. He's also got got a Sunbeam Lotus with 265 horsepower. And he has more fun in the Sunbeam because he can get in that on a racetrack, yeah, and go flat in every gear, and have all the exhilaration, all the fun, and it's only doing 120 mile an hour. Yeah. Whereas you get in the SF90, you probably can't keep the throttle pinned to the floor four seconds in the first two gears. It'll do well over 200 mile an hour. You can't use it on the road. It's an experience, and I think yeah, we're starting to see people go, okay, I like to have something modern and, and I've tried it or maybe I should try something that yeah. feels a bit more retro yeah um, are these are these once a car's been built and done do you have to worry about it rusting away too much uh, I, hope, I hope not we've worked very <laughs> <laughs> we've worked very hard on that so uh, one of the things that Peugeot used is a zinc and yellow process on a lot of the components um, and what we've noticed on our development car is that as soon as that gets near any road salt, it all starts to go anyway. Right. Um, so what we've done is because we want it to look right and look original, but then we've done a clear powder coat over the top. Okay. Yeah. So that we can try and keep everything. So everything's powder coated under the car. Um, we we run a protection over it, and, and all of our cars come with SuperGuard ceramic coating anyway. Yeah. So you're pretty much you've got it. Just use it. Yep. You're going to use it for, for a long time. Yep. Um, that's yeah well yeah, that's a pretty cool thing thank um, you so I normally wrap these up with five questions 
Do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey? I think probably one of my most memorable drives was uh, quite early on at Mitsubishi. And they said, you drive with a trailer? Yeah. Okay. Didn't hear a thing. Schedule for the next event came out. Oh. Yeah. Take a Shogun trailer, take the test car, and drive to Corsica. <laughs> <laughs> On my own? Well, yeah, you can meet the others with the trucks at, the, at Marseille at the docks. Oh. <laughs> that, that, that was quite entertaining. <laughs> no, I'd say that was a memorable drive. Good old, that's a good old schlog. Yeah, this was before um, before sat navs. Nice. Uh, we had mobile phones, but they didn't really work in a lot of places, and it was very very expensive. So it was maps and tulip notes and good Climbing old experience. Yeah. yeah, there's. I think there's something sort of not like romantic about the idea of traveling without phones, but it's it's almost like impossible now. I think it is impossible now. I, I I don't think I could do it. I could force myself, but I would still fail to not use the internet at some point in time yeah. just to be like, oh come on, where's a nice coffee shop or something? I'll be like, but I do. Someone I was talking to you recently does road trips quite often now and um, does them no motorways or you know pretty much no motorways. And I, I like that idea. I think that it's going to be significantly more memorable. Maybe a bit of GPS if you need to get somewhere but yeah you've got interesting roads you're not just sitting there just going for absolutely for a long old time um if you could only drive one car one sports car for the rest of your life what would it be you could even cook this up like in your head if it's not sort of built i think i'm going to be terribly boring what's it going to be maserati gran turismo oh interesting why um i've got one Mm-hmm. I love it. I think it looks absolutely it sensational. So it sounds yep. amazing. Uh, it's big enough for me, mm-hmm. as in I can fit in it. Yep. I don't fit in Porsches very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's actually quite capable. I've never been more distraught. I used to, when the DB9 came out, I mm-hmm. thought that was the most beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously a V12 sounds amazing. And a friend of mine bought one and he, and he came over to see me and threw me the keys and we went for a drive and I was so disappointed because in my head I was expecting something razor sharp yeah, and, and just this great sports car. And it, and, and it's, it's a bit like an old Jag and it's a, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's a GT. Whereas the, the Maserati, although it's very similar, it is actually a fantastically engaging drive. Um, and, and it's big, it's subtle. I, I, it's only an old one I've got, but I went for the auto rather than the, 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 the paddle shift mm. because you use the auto and it's a nice car to drive all the time. Paddle shift once in a while, and then you have to put up with a mechanically automated yeah. manual for the rest of the time. So I think if I had to drive something, for, that's the best all-rounder. Nice. I do every time I see one. I think oh, that's a good, that's a good-looking sounding car. And let's face it, you, you, an Italian V8. Yeah, nothing sounds like it. Yeah, you know, no, very cool. Right, most undervalued car at the moment. What should be worth more, other than Tolman GTS? <laughs> um, probably Mitsubishi Evos. Mm-hmm. 
phenomenal car. Off the shelf, capable. I know Mackinac editions are going for big money now, um, but you can still get a massive bargain on a on a five or a six if you can find one that's not been too badly molested. But I mean, what a what a piece of machinery to just cover ground. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I don't see them I don't see them around that much anymore. Well, they were never they, the Mackinac was the first official UK car. Okay. Everything prior to that was a grey import. Oh, right. Okay. So, so it's be rare, isn't seven, it? eight, and nine were sold in the UK, but everything else was 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 grey imports. But yeah, they were, you know, I think it's a it's a very very cheap car for what you get. Yeah. Are they, I don't know. Do you come across? Do you come across any around? Yeah. In terms of like, are they generally in okay condition? They they hold up well. Anything that's come from Japan is not under-sealed. Right, that's not helpful. Not in the UK. So you've got to be very careful on rust. And historically, Japanese materials have not been great. Right. Um, there was a lot of embargoes after the Second World War, which meant they couldn't get really good material. Mm. So, And that that's still lasts to this day, really. Um, really? Oh, a, lot of the, a lot of the production. But outside of Japan, fine. But inside Japan, it's it's never been brilliant. Um, so yeah, you've got to look out for the old tin worm, but other than that, other than that, yeah. mega bits of kit, yeah. Right, most interesting car. What are you? Whether it's some technology or are you googling or what's forefront of your mind? It's got to be the two hundred five T sixteen, my absolute favourite homologation special. Yeah, built specifically to do a job, but actually, probably well, definitely the best road going. Of the Group B cars because it was built as a road car. Yeah, it's not fast in the slightest as a road car. <laughs> um, but you know, this was 1984. It launched. Nobody's done anything like it since. Um, still looks amazing today, and with the right bits, is completely devastating. And yeah. the most successful Group B car of all time. Yeah, they're cool. They're super cool. We're starting to see. I feel like we're seeing more more events for these cars now there's obviously more rally inspired events these days um and i and i think rallying is or rally cars at least maybe this is just my own interest is starting to become a bit more popular again or at least the cars i don't i think the old cars are becoming more popular because people are understanding unfortunately i think rallying is really not relevant anymore you know, everybody makes a reliable car. Yeah. There's not many places in the world that don't have metalled roads anymore. Um, it doesn't take away from the fact that, in my opinion, rally drivers are phenomenal. Oh, unbelievable. To do. Um, as I've grown older and more experienced, I realised that rally cars are very limited. They've, they're always been and always have been grip limited, which is why you see a lot of the sliding and things like that. But they are amazing things, but they're not I say they're not particularly relevant. Especially now that you you have a world championship with a like a couple of manufacturers. Yeah. You know, when everybody was doing it and you had all and you could buy the cars that were, you know, what's the old adage race on Sunday, sell on Monday. Um, but when you when you've got a car that looks, sounds and you can't buy, I, I can't see what the appeal yeah. really is for the manufacturer. And that's why we've got no manufacturers in it, really. Yeah, I don't know. 
you sort of look at the cars and I've always sort of thought that when you see some of these body kits and stuff, like they look cool and you go to Europe and you might see whatever it is, um, like one of the various cars and Toyota bringing out the GR Yaris. Unbelievable that they had the balls. It's so cool. The tenacity and actually went through and produced a cool car. I can't see anybody ever doing that again. No. It, it, but you look at, I, I look at the other manufacturers and go, I think you guys could do this. You could, maybe you don't necessarily have to make it as such a bespoke product going to that level, but it could still look cool. It could still be wider. It could still have some of that stuff. And I think younger people would like like that. Oh, and older people, young people, everyone that wants a small car go. I remember back in 97 when, I, when we found out that Persia were coming back into the WRC. So excited, expecting something, you know. And I think they missed a boat by not using the iconic Peugeot Sport colours that they yeah. had, you know. But all of the success that they had with that car, all of the success. I mean, how many championships did Logue get with Citroen? Like eight or something. Yeah. All you could buy was a slightly hot C1 or a C3. <laughs> yeah. And they won all those champions, you know. Look what Toyota have done, and they've like won one or two, I think, yeah. and they produced like an, um, one of the best hot hatches ever to come out. I and mean, they're still, I've, I've read recently that they're doing another run. They're do, wow. They're doing like a Gen 2, um, where like, I don't know, have you driven a GI Yaris? No, I haven't. Um, the, the seat's really like high. I have asked somebody to look into whether we can do something with the seats on yeah. one. <laughs> um, so I, th I think someone does some different rails or, or whatever it is, but the next version has a lower seat. Yeah. Um, and they've changed which that, that actually is one of those cars that's, it's really fun, but it's not that fun. Like it's cool, but it's so grippy and it's so grippy at the rear, like so grippy. So you're just kind of like, um, you're sort of slightly understeering everywhere, which is safe. Is safe and is a thing. Um, and I know various people have done some tweaks and, and whatnot, but in my head, that was going to be a going into a roundabout, back end's coming round, off you go. As you sort of see the rally cars, and you're like, well, unless you blow the handbrake, that's unlikely to be happening in, in that car. But I think you can do a few a few little tweaks. It'd be, cool, sure it'd, it'd be cool to see some of the other, like some of the Frenchies getting back on it. And oh, it'd be it'd be absolutely brilliant. You know, let's let's have an RS Cosworth Ford again. You know, yeah. all those sorts of things. But I just don't think it will happen. I think no. we've 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 gone too far. We're almost seeing it at the other end. Now, not specifically in a racing form, but Porsche have now done the Dakar. Mm -hmm. um, Lamborghini have done the Storato, mm -hmm. which are kind of like rally cars. Sort of. You know, they're lifted, a bit less grip, can do a bit of off-roading. Um, and that, maybe that's part of this sort of change of people going, eh, I'd like something to move around a little bit, or even feel like it might move around a bit. Absolutely. And I think that's why, you know, the on the auto car car of the year the serato mm. won, won that and the conditions over that week it was pouring with rain and when you've got a car that's got a big blocky tire it moves around it generates a bit of grip gives you driver confidence four-wheel drive um they loved it because yeah. it's a driving pleasure yeah yeah not a not specifically just a numbers machine right yeah. final question five car garage. go for it Unlimited value. Unlimited value, five-car garage, 205 Turbo 16. Yeah. 
obviously more Maserati. Don't think I'd ever fit in it, but because it's beautiful, 246 GT Gino. Mm-hmm. Probably a Range Rover. Okay, yeah. Daily duties? Yeah. It's a difficult question. It is a difficult question. Mine changes all the time. Um, would you have uh, something to drive on track? I guess you could drive some of those on track. Um, or you sort of got a classic or something super modern and silly. It would probably be Italian. Mm-hmm. I do have a bit of a passion for Italian things. So, yeah, maybe a Ferrari of some sort. It's just a, a modern Ferrari. Modern. Yeah, two, 296. Yeah. I think that would be good. Take that to shops. Test out some of that performance. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Cheers. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.